Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. This passage in the scriptures is often referred to in order to address the question of the existence of God. And the existence of God is a question that many people struggle with. There are many opportunities to have discussions and debates about the existence of God. Sometimes people will talk about their faith. They'll talk about the Lord Jesus with other people. They'll talk about the things that they believe. And yet they're talking with people who don't really acknowledge or believe that there is a God at all. And so when this happens, you're talking to them about spiritual things, and they may agree with you in some way, or they may give the appearance that they agree with you in some ways, or they may give the appearance that they understand what you're saying. But the truth of the matter is, is that they may not believe anything that you're really saying. They may just simply be giving you some confirmation of some kind in order to feel as though they're being accepted by you, or they may suggest that they believe things that are similar to what you believe, or they may just simply feel okay with you believing what you are believing, even though they don't really have that kind of conviction. People just might be polite, in other words, and yet not really have the same beliefs that you have. And then when you find yourself having debates with this individual or discussions that lead you to believe that they don't really believe the same things that you do, you might feel a little confused. You might wonder, What is this person doing in this church, or what is this person doing around all these believers, or what is this person doing in my life at all? These are the kinds of questions that people start asking. And the reason why there is this confusion is only because this is an individual who probably does not really believe or has no real deep conviction about the existence of God at all. This is a very important question to ask about the existence of God at all, and is there any evidence to show that there is a God at all. It's a very important question. Now, what people normally do is they normally take the position that there needs to be some proof that God exists. Otherwise, they're not going to believe that there is a God at all. That we need to have some proof in order to show that he is. Now, there are some serious complications with this. First of all, if there is proof, if there is a way to really prove that there is a God, then people would have to acknowledge that proof. They would have to recognize that through the evidence that was presented, that there is proof that there is a God, and so they are going to have to believe in him because of the proof. 
Now, from what I can tell, there is not enough evidence available, that there is not enough information available in order to construct a proof to show that God truly exists. And I believe that there are some very important reasons why that does not exist, why there is no way to actually prove his existence. The most important reason that I can think of as to why he would not allow us enough evidence or enough information to prove his existence is because he does not want us to turn to him because of a proof. I personally believe that he has not made it possible for us to prove his existence because he wants us to turn to him because we want to know who he is, not because we have no alternative because we have been overwhelmed by the rational arguments that have been presented through a proof. And so it's my belief, it's my opinion, that the reason why there is no way to really prove his existence is because he does not want us to turn to him because we have to, or because there is a proof that confirms through our rational minds that he does exist. So this is how I look at this situation. This is how I look at this circumstance and this question of whether or not there is a proof and do we really need to have a proof. Now, again, there are many people who will then reject the existence of God because there is no proof. But what I am telling you is that he wants you to reject him on that basis if that's what your criteria truly is because he only wants you to turn to him because you want to know who he is, not because there is a proof. And so I personally believe that the Lord has allowed for that And he is willing to let people reject him because they don't have their proof, because he doesn't want them to have a relationship with him on the basis of a proof anyway. And so while many people may feel confident in their rejection of the existence of God, I believe he also is very confident because he doesn't want them to know him on that basis either. Now, along with this, there is this sort of attitude that people tend to have. And it is an attitude that expresses this belief that God is not alive. You see, if he really existed, then there would be enough evidence, enough proof to show that he is alive. But because we don't know who he is, we don't know if he even exists at all, it is as if he is not alive. It is as if he is nothing more than a philosophy. He is nothing more than an abstract religious belief perhaps some primitive belief that we have somehow been able to overcome through our rational minds to discover that because there is no overwhelming proof, no overwhelming evidence to show that he is alive at all, then that must mean that he is dead. Now, in many people's minds, this is how they deal with the question of the existence of God. Many people conclude that because there is no evidence that convinces them that he is alive, then he must be dead. But the reality is, is that there is nothing truly wrong with God. There is something wrong with us. The reason why we believe that God is dead, or he is not alive, or he is not in existence at all, is because there is something wrong with us, not because there is something wrong with him. And what we know about the gospel that has been revealed to us, that was presented to us through the Lord Jesus, we know that the condition of humanity, when we are born into this world, our condition is a condition of being spiritually dead. That this is a condition 
that was inherited by Adam and Eve. And so for people to take the position that there is something wrong with God, the fact of the matter is, is that there is nothing wrong with him, there is something wrong with you. Now to recognize this, to acknowledge this, I personally believe that this is something that we can be thankful for, that we don't have to be offended because we discover that there is something wrong with us. But of course I know that there are many people who will be offended by me saying that there's something wrong with them, that there isn't anything wrong with God. But if you were to consider it at least for a moment, from a rational point of view, if there is a God, then wouldn't you expect there to be something wrong with you rather than there being something wrong with him? From a rational point of view, you could consider that. But I don't want you to really consider it from a rational point of view. I want you to believe the testimony of the Lord Jesus, the testimony of the scriptures, the testimony that our God has revealed to us that there is actually something wrong with us. Now, I personally have wrestled with this question of the existence of God. I have. I know what it is to wrestle with this issue. I wrestled with it for years. And I will never forget the day and where I was and the circumstances of my life at that time when I seriously considered the matter and when I made an official decision in my own heart and in my own mind that I would acknowledge that God truly does exist that there is something wrong with me, there is nothing wrong with him, and that the fact of the matter is, is that if I'm going to know him at all, I'm going to have to acknowledge my condition, my depravity, and trust that he will reveal himself to me in a way that he sees fit. I remember when that time was in my life, and I believe that everyone should take the time to really struggle with this issue, to wrestle with it, and to consider the evidence that is available. Now, here in Romans chapter 1, what Paul says is that the evidence is available in the world that God has created, that he has created this world in such a way that there is enough evidence in his creation to show us who he is, to show us that he exists, to show us his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, that these things are clearly seen being understood through what has been made, and so that no one is without an excuse. But there are some challenges that we face in our modern age. There are some significant obstacles that we face in the life that we have in the modern world that we are a part of. For example, consider how many people live in a city, How many people live in a community that has been built through industry? There are many people who live their lives in such a way that they're somewhat isolated from the world that he created. The way that they are isolated is that they are surrounded by things that people have made. They are surrounded by things that man has made. For example, in a city, you may find that there are a lot of roads. There are many roads and there are many buildings. And you can spend your entire life traveling on these roads and residing within these buildings and going to work in these buildings. And if you stay, if you stay in these cities, if you stay in these places that have been constructed by man, you may never truly have exposure to the things that God has created. I mean, you may certainly encounter a tree here or there. You may go out and walk on the grass without your shoes on. For many people, they consider that to be an experience in the wilderness. There is reasonable access to some of the things 
that God has made. But for the most part, people are surrounded by things that are man-made. And so I believe that the modern age and the industrialized world does provide people with an opportunity to reject the existence of God because of their isolation, because they are surrounded by things that people have made, because the things that they do with their free time are generally focused on things that people have made. People are preoccupied with their telephones, with their video games. They're preoccupied with the Internet. They're preoccupied with the movies. They're busy with things that people have made to the extent where they have very little exposure to those unique things that God has made. Now, there are opportunities to learn about things that God has made that will testify of his existence. There are opportunities for that, One of the opportunities that people have is in school, where they go to school and they learn about the natural sciences. They learn about life sciences. They learn about the plants and the trees and the animals. There is an opportunity within schools to learn about the things that God has made. But for the most part, when those things are presented, they are not presented in the context of God creating them. For the most part, people are teaching evolution and they believe in evolution, that these things are things that came into existence by chance, by random chance, that they came into existence spontaneously, that they were defects that turned out to give living things an advantage in life above and beyond those living things that existed before the defect occurred. That This is a belief that many people have, and this is strongly encouraged and strongly perpetuated to the point where creationism is generally ridiculed to the point where no one will speak of it at all. This tends to be the case in many schools that we have at our disposal today. And so because of that, yes, people may have some exposure to the things that God has created, but it's generally presented in the context that there is no way that there could be a God and that God does not exist and that he definitely did not create these things. Now, I would put this in the classification of poor education, But poor education is not just about being misinformed. It's not just about denying the truth. It's not just about that. Poor education comes in many forms. There are different techniques of education, for example, that will teach students not to think, but instead to just simply respond, respond to stimulus or respond to questions, to just give the right answers, but don't really think about how those answers were derived Students are not normally taught how to think. They're taught what to think, but not really how to think, how to resolve problems, how to innovate. That's not something that has been a part of our educational system in the world for a long time now. I taught at a university for almost 10 years, and I can tell you that one of the most common conversations that I had with other professors was about the degradation of students, the degradation in the sense that there was a lower quality of education, that there was a decline in the ability to think in the students, that the students were not able to think. They had a lower quality of education, that this is something that was gradually declining year after year after year. And it was very disturbing to many of the professors because they really wanted to teach people how to think and how to solve problems. I wanted to do that, and I found it increasingly difficult as years would go by to find students who had the capacity to be able to really solve problems and to really learn. In general, my students had no ability to learn. They did not know how to do that. 
I found that this created a number of very challenging situations and a number of very challenging circumstances. And so poor education has certainly contributed to the inability for people to examine the evidence and see that there is enough evidence. While there may not be a proof, there is enough evidence to show that there is a God. And you can trust in him on the basis of that. That just as I found enough evidence to convince me that he exists, I also believe that he has provided enough evidence for everyone to concede and to recognize that he exists, even though there is not a formal proof. But the poor education that people have been receiving is not the only challenge, is not the only obstacle, and is definitely not going to be the solution, because I know many other people who have had wonderful opportunities, who have experienced a lot of education. I'm referring to people who have master's degrees and PhDs, who have contributed to their relative fields, who are very smart. I've worked with a lot of people like this. I've worked in the fields of quantum chemistry. I've worked in bioinformatics and computational biology. I've worked in genetics and DNA sequencing and gene splicing. I've done a lot of work with a lot of smart people, and I can tell you that even though these people are brilliant, and they know how to innovate, and they know how to solve problems, and they know how to learn, they know how to think, but even though they are incredibly brilliant, they still do not acknowledge the existence of God. And it has been amazing to me to sit down and work at an atomic level with many scientists and to see them examine things and discover that there must be a God, there has to be a God, to see them struggle with that. And I can just see it in their eyes. I've seen this struggle happen with people and they they take the time to look at it and they examine it and they see there just there has to be a God. There is no other explanation But then after a pause, they gather themselves together and they compose themselves and they intellectually deny the evidence that is in front of them. They say that there must be an alternative. There must be an explanation that we just have not yet discovered yet because the alternative of acknowledging that there is a creator is just unacceptable. It is unacceptable not because we don't want to acknowledge that there is a creator, But it is unacceptable because of the consequences of that, huge consequences that they're going to experience if they acknowledge that there is a creator. I've seen people wrestle with this. Many times I've been in meetings where the room has been filled with PhDs and we would be talking about various projects. We would be talking about new opportunities for research. And it would not be unusual for somebody to make some creative comment against God or against creationism. And then everybody's eyes would be shifted over towards me to see if I would respond. And I generally would not because I didn't have to, because they knew that I was a man of deep conviction and of deep belief. And there was no reason for me to respond to the ridicule that they were expressing. It wouldn't matter because the real issue is is that they have to deny his existence because if they did acknowledge his existence, then they would have to acknowledge their own depravity, their own condition and the need that they would have for his forgiveness and mercy. And unfortunately, it's very difficult for very smart people to come to that recognition, to come to that realization that they are not as impressive as they think they are, and that they are not as impressive as other people think they are, that they are in a condition where they need the intervention of the living God in their lives personally. 
You know, there are many people who have told me that I'm very smart, but I can tell you this, and that is that while I may be very smart, I'm smart enough to know that being smart is not where it's at. That if my God wants me to be smarter, he can make me smarter. And if he wants me to be dumber, he can make me dumber. And it doesn't matter to me because the only thing that I want to know, I only want to know who he is. I only want to know him. And whatever he's willing to share with me, I will be thankful. And if he wants to share less with me, I will be thankful. And if he wants to share more with me, I will be thankful. But being smart is not where it's at. I can tell you that from personal experience, that I'm smart enough to know that intelligence is not the issue. The issue is, is that we have to let go of our pride. We have to let go of our pride, regardless of what we know or we do not know, and acknowledge that there is enough evidence to show us that he is and that he has an existence. Now, in Romans chapter 1, what Paul goes on to say is that people end up denying his existence, and then they indulge their flesh. And, of course, there are many sins that he describes at the end of Romans chapter 1, and I will be addressing these in the next few broadcasts. But what I would like to end this program with is a simple statement, and that is that I believe that the reason why that people were not willing to acknowledge the existence of God, even in light of the overwhelming evidence that they were exposed to, was not necessarily because they wanted to deny his existence. Instead, to me, the real issue is that they wanted to indulge their flesh and their sin, that that was what was more important to them, and that it was necessary for them to deny his existence because if they did not deny his existence, then they would have to recognize that what they were doing was evil. And so from their point of view, it's not really a matter of here is an opportunity to reject God, that I don't think that that was their real focus. And today I have encountered many people who have not been rejecting God just because they want to. They don't really reject God because they really want to hate him or because they just want to show him how much they are disappointed in him. That's not normally the motivation. Normally the motivation is that they are indulging their flesh. They have been participating in certain types of sins. They have been engaging in certain forms of evil, and they do not want to acknowledge that what they are doing is evil. They don't want to acknowledge that what they are enjoying is truly sin, because if they do, then they have to consider that they might have to put that aside. And so I have found that for the most part, people do not reject his existence just because they want to reject his existence. They want to reject his existence because they don't want to let go of their sin. That that's the real issue. And so when I speak with people today about the existence of God, I do make a sincere attempt to share with them the value of having a relationship with him. To share with them the fact that the world has many things to offer that is true. That sin has an appeal that that is true but that it will never really satisfy the deepest longings in our hearts. That we were created by our God in such a way that none of these things will ever fulfill us. We may experience some temporary moments where we feel as though maybe we are fulfilled, but the fact that they are temporary should give you an indication that we were not created to indulge our flesh in these ways and that our God has created this world in such a way that we will never be at peace 
We will never be at rest in our own hearts and in our own beings until we turn to him for who he is, because he created us in such a way that only he will fulfill the deepest needs of our hearts. He made nothing that will do that. He will not share that with anyone or with anything on this earth. He is reserving this to himself so that we will always be directed towards him. And he will always be able to call to us in a meaningful way, offering to us fulfillment in the deepest part of our being. And he will never cease to do that until we die. He will never cease. This will never end. And I believe that this is a form of patience and mercy and graciousness that he is willing to offer himself to those who are lost, to those who are dead, to those who need salvation, and that he will continue to do that up until the end of their lives. I personally believe that this is the best way to address the issue of the existence of God, to not try to give enough evidence or enough proof. There is a lot of evidence, and there are many organizations that have compiled a lot of evidence and have published it, have made it available. I think it is very worthwhile to explore it and to study it, to examine it, and to be thankful for it being made available. However, I do not want to diminish the importance of understanding that people are struggling with issues in their hearts, and that to me, we should not neglect these issues and continue to encourage people to turn to him for who he is and for what he wants to give them, that the gospel will always have application in that context. You know, many people get focused on these sins that are described here, but the reality is is that the reason why people sin is because they're empty. It's because they have needs in the deepest part of their being. Their real need is for their God. That is their real need, that people really need the living God in their lives. They need the living God within them. They need to know him. They need to have a relationship with him. He created us in such a way that we have these needs. And these sins are nothing more than the manifestations of an empty heart. And so the greatest application for the gospel is always to address these issues and to encourage people to turn to him, again, not necessarily for the evidence, but for what he has to offer. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net